No, it's fine. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Good morning. Am I on, Lee? I'm on. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Uh, clarif- that was a funny noise. Clarification. The website is not actually finished. It's in process. We, uh, we've seen draft one of it, and it looks, it looks excellent. It looks really, really good. So in the next com- couple of weeks here, we should have it all finished up. Oh, is my battery dying? Pause. As you were. <laughs> Lee, is that working better? No bad noises? Okay, so it is not quite finished. So if you go to the current website, it'll be the old one, and you'll be like, what's new about this? And there's nothing. But trust me, you'll notice when the new one is done, it is vastly different. It is a vast improvement, uh, and it's, it looks really good. And, and like uh, Ernie said, whenever visitors come, uh, the vast majority of the time they mention that that's how they found us, is our presence on the web. So keep that in mind. As well, there's a new thing for this week. At the very bottom of the home page, and this will be on the new website as well, but it's there now, is you can now give online. How many of you bring checks everywhere you go? Okay, then let's ask a different question. How many are older that... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> is the vast majority of, of younger-ish people no longer carry checks? Uh, and so we're just trying to make it easier for people to, uh, to remember to support the church. And so you can actually set, there's a bunch of different things on there, but you can click it and you can actually have it recur every single month on a very specific date. So you never need to remember ever again. You can just set it from now until, you know, 2047 or whatever you would like. And, uh, and it will do that. Uh, the program that we're using charges just us a very, very small amount. So just for sake of numbers, if you were to give $100, uh, about 97 of that will come to the church. Now there is a little option there where you can say you cover the administrative fees, and so then you would pay 103 and the church would get 100. So those are just things for you to look at uh, if you don't want to have to remember, if you don't want to have to bring checks, or if you don't want to have to try and get downtown to the bank or anything, there's just a way to do that now, and that's just a little bit more convenient for uh, the millennial generation. I can't even help but smiling saying that. Uh, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and so what better text to do than a very controversial one? Let me just clarify here before. Actually, you know what? Let's pray because uh, I need all the wisdom I can get. Uh, God, thanks for this morning. Thanks that we can open the Word and that we can study it together. And God, as we look at what you have to say to us, we We want to say that we agree that this is the word of God. That this is completely perfect. That what it says to us are your words to us. And so whether they're difficult or whether we maybe even sometimes just don't like them, help us to understand that this is your word, not man's. And help us to to live in such a way that we honor you in this. So God, give me wisdom here as I try and explain this text and, and try and go through it in the best way I know how. God, we love you and just be with us now in these moments and open our hearts. Amen. So if you're new and visiting, we've been going through 1 Peter for about a month now. Um, 
And I just want to give you just a very brief context of the past passage from last Sunday, just because it ties right into here. Um, But overall, what Peter has been writing uh, to us is this, this theme of identity is us recognizing that we're not to be like the world. We are not of the world. We have been bought at a price through Christ. And now, because Christ is in us, uh, Peter's writing to these various churches saying, because Christ is in you, you should look drastically different. You should act drastically different. And so last week, we looked at it and said that we are to be subject to every human institution. So we talked about the reality that we are coming up to an election real quick. And we might get what we want, and we might not get what we want. But either way, according to Peter and according uh, to Paul, which we looked at last week, is, is God is going to institute whoever comes into power for a specific time, for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, and sometimes we don't know what those things are. And so what we have to do is we look at it, and we can disagree, and we can voice our opinion, but Peter says to do it in a way that you submit to those authorities, and I think in many ways, and, and these are Peter's words, not mine, He says uh, in verse 15 of chapter 2, he says this, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So Peter says, let your actions and how you live, even if you differ than the institutions, the governments, whatever it might be, let the way that you live show others that you're not going to be belligerent, you're not going to be rude. You're not going to be condescending towards others just because you differ with them, but that you can respect others that you disagree with. And that's something that's lost in our culture right now is so often we buy into this, this hate speech or this rhetoric of if you differ with me, that means you hate me. And that's simply not true. And the church needs to remember to show people that we can differ and yet we can differ with respect. So this text kind of piggybacks off of that. It's not going to deal with government institutions and servants and masters. Now it's going to come into the real nitty-gritty details of your own marriages and your own homes. And so Peter's going to call us to some very difficult things. And, And in some ways, this text specifically is one of the more controversial texts in all of Scripture. But I don't actually think it's controversial at all. I think the issue is in our understanding of certain words. This past week, I was in Calgary for some meetings with our, with our association. And, uh, and one of the pastors mentioned that in the church so often nowadays, we have to redefine terms. It used to be that you could just talk about things of God and talk about things of Scripture, and we were starting at the same point. But now it seems like we might be using the same words but saying very different things. And in the same way here is when you read the text, which we're going to read in just a minute, and you see, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's like right away, there's all kinds of red flags, all kinds of problems because of that word, be subject to, or your translation might say, submit to. And so we need to redefine some of these things so that we understand that we're coming, or or I should say that we redefine it so that we are all coming from the same understanding so that we start at the same place. And we don't have to fight about, well, what do you mean by that word and what do you mean by this word? So let me just read this together, these first seven verses of chapter 3 together, and then I'll explain some of this. So it says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, 
but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So right away, you may notice there's a couple of words in there that maybe you just don't like. And maybe you read and you go, that, that, that can't be the case, that this is crazy, this doesn't work. And so what my goal is going to be this morning is to show us from the context of Peter uh, to what submission looks like, this idea of the weaker vessel. Don't throw stuff at me just yet. We'll we'll get there and we'll explain that. Uh, I am fully aware that some women are stronger than some men, so so you don't have to uh, challenge me to a fight or anything after. That is okay. So this first word, uh, be subject to or submit to, is, is this word submission is loaded with so much difficulty in our culture. Uh, the Google dictionary, which it's sad that Google has a dictionary, but this is just the reality of the world we live in, it says this, submission is the act or a fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And so while technically there's, it's a correct definition, it comes already from this idea of repression or oppression. Is that to submit to, it just has this negative connotation. But biblical submission is something different. It has nothing to do with repression or oppression, but rather it has to do with sacrificial. And we're going to explain that in just a few minutes and what that means. But the reality is in all of our own lives, If we just did what we wanted and lived the way we wanted, the world would be in utter chaos. That is is just the simple reality of things. When you're a parent and you have a child, if you just let your child do whatever they want, which is kind of becoming a parenting trend in today's world, it just doesn't work. And it gets chaotic. And then whose rights matter and whose rights don't? And why are you allowed to do that and, and offend this person? And it just, it just gets so messy and so confusing. And so as you grow up, sometimes you just come to this realization. For the better good of my family in this text, or my church family, or my work family, or the community that I live in, sometimes I have to do things that maybe I don't want to do. And sometimes... I can't do the things that I want to do because for the better good of our whole, even society, to that point, which Peter talked about last time, this is what's necessary. So sometimes we just have to say no. Now, I want you to flip to another passage of Scripture because I think to to define submission a little bit better and to understand the role of men and women, uh, this this passage will help. So turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're just going to read a few verses from there. Uh, This is the number one passage that Shayla and I use in all of our premarital counseling. I don't think we've ever done uh, a a wedding where we have not gone through this at length because we think this is crucial to understanding what marriage looks like. Now, let let me clarify before we move forward. If you're not married here, if you're single, then you're not allowed to check out. Uh, The truths of this apply to you as well. They are rolled into the idea of marriage, but they're true all across the board in all relationships. And if you're a person, you're in relationship in some way, shape, or form. 
It's just the world that we live in. This is how God has created us. We're relational people. And though some of you might like lots of relationships and some of you might want two and everyone else can just go away, uh, that's okay. We're still created to be in that world and to, to relate with one another. So now this is specific. So if you uh, are single, just consider that this is true for you. And also that if you can prepare yourself for an understanding of marriage, that if one day you want to be married, that if you start with this understanding, you'll start way ahead of many, many people. So Ephesians 5 verse 22 says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Notice that as to the Lord bit, the same as Peter said last, uh, in last week's text. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, to, submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Is what Shayla and I always tell people is, is marriage exists to show the covenant relationship that Christ has with his church. So if you are married, your relationship with your spouse is meant to show the world the way that the church and Christ interact together. And so men, if you're married today, then you are to sacrificially lead. And if, if you read this clearly, it is to make your wives holy. Your goal is to care for and to nurture and to cherish this woman. That's your role as a husband. To sacrificially lay down your life, if need be, for the sake of your wife. And our argument always is, is when we start the text and it says... Wives, submit to your own husbands. Often we see the woman in the relationship kind of get guard up a little bit and, and want to have a little argument with us. But by the end of the passage, when you realize that the husband is not doing it in any kind of domineering way, but a sacrificial love kind of way, we start to see that soften. And the reality is, is if women, if you're married to a man that will do any and everything for you, and I don't just mean give you things, but to take care of you, to nurture you, to help you grow, to, to help every bit of you as you're on your journey to becoming who God has created you to be. If your husband is willing to do that, then you'll have no problem to submit to that kind of leadership because of where it ends. And it's good. Dr. Egrickson, his book, Love and Respect, which I would highly recommend to you, explains it kind of in this way of this idea of a dance. And don't worry, I'm not going to dance for you because that's not pretty for anybody. Um, but as I understand it, in a dance, there's one who leads and one who follows. And if you both try to lead, it doesn't work very well. And my problem is I try and let Shayla lead because I don't have a hot clue what I'm doing. And and she's actually a terrific dancer, and I remember being at a wedding 
uh, her sister's wedding, and so the bridal party's up there, and, and all I could sit there is watching all these people spin and dance and go, how do they know what to do? And it doesn't make sense to me. And in some ways, in a relational context, I feel like when the marriage is running well and when there's this beautiful dance and beautiful symmetry happening that the world will look at the Christianity, uh, the Christian couples that are living in this way with God at the center, and they'll go, how does that work? Why, how do they know what to do and how do they know what to say to each other? Because I think that God has given us roles. This is not an issue of equality whatsoever. In fact, all through uh, a number of books, specifically Peter, specifically Ephesians, is they fight they fight the, norm, the cultural norm of the day to elevate women to a level of equality by saying this is, women, you are daughters of the king. You have been created in his image. And if you go back to Genesis 1 and you read is, yes, man was created first, but then what did God say when he realized he was alone? It's not good for man to be alone. Man wasn't enough on his own. And so God created woman, and the reality of that is, is neither of them are enough on their own. In that context, God meant us to live in relationship with one another. Companionship is key and crucial. And so the old cliche is true, is you got to marry your best friend, because that will help your marriage incredibly. Because if you're a companion beyond just the romantic side of things, then every part of your relationship will start to come into play. And there's actually Hebrew uh, understandings in Song of Solomon for that. We won't get into that this morning because that's all kinds of uncomfortable. Uh, but if you have a question in the summer, we can deal with that then. But so we're called in this way, uh, wives submit to your husbands. Or at the very end of the text, it says it this way a little bit more clearly. Wives uh, respect your husbands, and husbands uh, love your wives. And actually, Dr. Eggers did a study, and the vast majority of women want to be loved. They couldn't care less about respect, and the vast majority of men couldn't care less about love. They'd rather be respected. And that sounds awful just to hear it that way, but that's how God's created us, is men want to be respected, and women want to be loved, and God's created us differently in this way so that we can join together give each other what we need, and have this beautiful relationship that is supposed to point the world ultimately to Christ and his, under, and his relationship with the church. So this gives us a little bit of context into this. Now, uh, when you look at chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Peter, there seems to be an implication here when it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. So there seems to be this implication that the wife is a believer and the husband either is not a believer or he claims to be but isn't showing any fruit in his life. And, and so either way, the principles are the same. But if you, if you this morning, wives, are in a relationship where you are a believer and either your husband is not or you feel like you're the one who has to do all the pulling and your husband is not willing to step up and, and take care of his own uh, spiritual growth, let alone the rest of his family as well, then this text is written for you. It's written for you to help you understand what your role is in that because you are still called to submit to him even though maybe he's not taking care of your spiritual leadership in your home. And so how do you do that in an effective way while submitting? Well, the same as what we talked about last week. It's just because we're to submit to the government doesn't mean we do everything that they want us to do. 
We still obey God, but we can differ with respect. We can, we can say to our husbands or to our wives in our relationship that we differ without slamming them down or without speaking condescendingly towards them. And again, this is one of the biggest challenges that we have is communication is one of the, actually it's number one in relationship killers. Is couples that end up in divorce, communication is always listed as one of the highest things. And so how we learn to communicate to each other becomes important. And so if, if you're a wife and you, uh, if you differ with your husband and then you slam him down, remember he's craving respect. And if you're not giving him that respect, then he's, Dr. Eggers teaches this, he's less likely to give you the love that you crave. And then all of a sudden you end up in this fight back and forth where one's not doing the other and, and vice versa. So notice here, the wife is called to submit to the husband even though he is at best uh, a nominal Christian. However, if you continue to read through the text, what you see is, and this is where it's important to define these terms, because if we can get on the same page with what be subject or submit to means, is we can actually see that that's not the thrust of the text. That's not the main point. But rather the main or the primary issue in the text is that the wife is called to put her hope in God and nothing else, specifically not a husband. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute here. When we redefine these terms, hopefully we get offended a little less quickly and we can read through them and figure this out. Matt Chandler says in his teaching on this, he says, uh, put your hope in God. He's speaking to the women. And he says, put your hope in God. Then Peter appeals to them not to put their hope in one of two places that women have a tendency to put their hope. Number one, external beauty. Don't put your hope in external beauty and don't be defined by an external sensuality. It's an appeal to modesty and it's appeal to develop the development of the mind and soul of a woman. And the second issue is not to put or excuse me, is to put your hope in the Lord and not in a man. So these are the two things that are at play in the text. And let me just say it this way, and hopefully you'll understand where I'm coming from here, because it's gonna sound a bit rough for a second. Is I love I love my wife desperately but she will never fulfill me. Only Christ can do that. Christ alone will fulfill our lives. Now, I, again, I love Shayla desperately. She was gone at her parents uh, last week for five days. Uh, and you know what? The house didn't burn down. Right? Like, I was capable of being a parent. I was capable of doing the things that needed to be done. It wasn't as much fun. It wasn't as easy I way rather wish that Shayla would have been with me because she's my teammate, my partner, and the one that I love. But if I put expectations on her that she will fulfill me or vice versa, it's always going to end badly because our spouse is never meant to do that. Only Jesus Christ is. And if I expect Shayla to fulfill the role of Jesus in my life, what am I setting her up for? She's never going to be able to live up to that. And I think so often that's why marriages fall apart is because you sit there and you go, well, this person was supposed to do this for me and they didn't. But nowhere in Scripture is your spouse called to do that. Christ and Christ alone is called to do that. Now, so women, these two issues, one to do with external beauty and one to do with manhood. Well, we answered the second one first, but the, now back to this other one is the reality is, and, and this is difficult, is no matter where you go, 
women specifically, is if you're standing in line at the grocery store, what do you see? All these magazine racks and everything is about how to improve your physical beauty so that you'll be more sought after. Guys, we don't have to deal with that kind of pressure. At least the pressure we face is different. And so women, you face this battle over and over and over, but your identity should not be placed in how the world can look at you because the creator of the earth sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for you because he loves you desperately. Your identity comes in that. Your sense of value and your sense of worth comes from the fact that you are a daughter of, the crea- of, of God who is the creator of the universe. A side note for you to just jot this down is if, if you uh, are part of the church, then you know about Right Now Media, and if you're not, uh, just come and talk to me and we can get you connected with that, is Gary Thomas has a series called A Lifelong Love in there, and he deals a lot with recognizing that for husbands and wives, when you're talking to your spouse, that you are talking to a son or a daughter of the creator, the king, the ruler, and he loves them like a son or like a daughter. Think of it this way, is the last argument that you had, if you could write that down in words of what you said and why you said it and the feelings that you had and then gave that to God and say, see here, here's what he or she did. Could you imagine doing that and trying to defend your position before God? It just wouldn't work. In our culture, there's a, There's all kinds of trends that are rapidly moving, and some of them are good, and some of them are bad, and some of them are both good and bad. And one of those things is the feminist movement. And in one of the areas of that uh, is this push for equality, which is, of course, is good, and actually, I'm going to argue, is biblical, according to what Peter is saying here. However, the good and the bad come is, is the good at in feminism says that you should not be defined by your man or you should not be fulfilled by your man, all those things. That's exactly what Peter's saying here. However, it takes it a little bit too far and it says that you yourself are enough when what the Bible teaches is what? None of us are enough. None of us are enough. Now again, if we place our hope in our spouse, we're going to be disappointed. But if we put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, then we will find fulfillment, and only then. And so Peter is saying, he's saying, wives, if your husband, if, if he's unwilling to do the God-given role that he's been given, which is to spiritually lead your home, he's saying, win them without a word by the conduct that you have. What he's saying is not you need to just be silent, What he's saying is you shouldn't even have to speak because how you live should start to show them more and more the need that they have for the relationship with Christ that you have. Simply put is this, Christ should change your life drastically. And when other people see that, Peter said it, Jesus says it in Matthew 5, people will look at it and they'll honor our Father who is in heaven. And so wives, if you're struggling with this, if you're in this relationship and and you're not sure, and maybe it's been years of this, is to continue to pray for, but Peter tells you to submit to your husbands as well in this, but to do so in such a way that shows him that the reason that you're doing it is because God has called you to do it. As we look back in chapter 2, verse 13, be subject 
for the Lord's sake. It's for God that we're doing this. And as we do this for him, then our spouses, our, our, our kids, our every kind of cycle further than that as we move forward, they'll all see that. And the more we can show them Jesus, the more their lives can change. That's just the reality of it. Let me just uh, mention this as well before we get to verse 7 and get to the guys. As verse 6 says this, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do not fear anything that is frightening. Is notice that Peter is calling women to be courageous and to be unafraid of every obstacle that they face? Is Peter's not pushing women down and elevating men. Rather, he's trying to show, specifically in these six verses here, that women, your identity and your value and your worth is not found in your husband. It's found in Christ. It's found in God. And if you can submit to your husband, because that's the way that God's created the family unit to work, then you don't have to fear anything. If we trust after God, well, Scripture says it another way, right? As if God is for us. Who can be against us? Again, Peter's been trying to focus us away, calling us exiles, focus us away from the earth and onto Christ and realize, as Paul said, that it's sometimes, I shouldn't say sometimes, when Paul's having this argument in his head and he's going, which is better for me to depart and be with God or to stay with you? And he says, well, right now it's more necessary for me to stay here, but I way rather just die and go be with Jesus because that's better by far is what can the world do to us if death is a promotion? Right? What can the world do to us if we're not after our spouse's affection or respect as the sole purpose of our lives, but we're after Jesus Christ? I'm not saying it won't hurt, it won't be painful, there won't be obstacles, there won't be difficulty, but I'm saying you won't be stripped down to nothing because your value comes from Christ and Christ alone. All right, men gotten off the hook for a bit here, but actually, before we get to the men, that sounds bad. Uh, let's flip to Proverbs 31. I want you to notice something. This is a famous uh, text of scripture that's written in the context of, of, a, of a wife uh, to a husband, and I just want you to notice the things that he actually says here. So starting in verse 10 of Proverbs 31, says this, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night, and she provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers the field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her, and her hands to the, hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. 
Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you've surpassed them all. Charm and deceptive is beauty. Uh, sorry, charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. As you kind of read that, and this husband is writing this to her wife, and obviously looks at her with these incre- this incredible view, but you notice not one of it has anything to do with how she looks like but rather who she is. Is again, we live in such a visually saturated culture that we think to, to be pretty, you have to do this and this and this. But he says it great at the end is, oh, I've got to turn there. Lost my memory. This is the problem, not having a good memory. He says at the very end here, right? Um, Charm is deceptive and beauty is vain but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. He looks at it and he says, there is one quality above everything else that is necessary, and it says she fears the Lord. Beauty and charm, those things can lie to us. Those things, they're not eternal. But a woman who fears the Lord, that is eternal. All right, men, verse 7. Likewise, now notice this is just one verse. The ladies got six and that doesn't seem fair, but there's actually more commands in verse seven given to the men than there are to the, to the women. So this is interesting. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That Greek uh, word understanding, um, it's, it's the same word that we translate as considerate. Treat your wives in a considerate way. So, What does that mean? What does that practically look like? Well, we live in a culture, at least vastly once it comes to uh, family dynamics where we're married and we have children, is where men go off to work and then they come home and there's this expectation that supper's going to be ready, that they'll get to eat what they want, that their feet will be rubbed, that the women will deal with the children, and then they'll get to go to bed and go, ah, I get to do it all again tomorrow. And he's saying, no. And, and those of you who have, how many of you have been stay-at-home parent for any period of time in your life? That's not for the faint of heart. Shayla was gone for those five days, and Smonga is a good kid, but I'd rather be at work. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the right way to say it. Uh, it's hard. It's, it's hard. You're, you, this little mind just, I need, I want, I want, this is happening, this is going on. And it's just like, how do you keep it straight? My wife is a superhero. The reality is, is that God has gifted her and given her patience far beyond my own. And if I abuse that patience to go, I don't have to be considerate of the day that she had or the things that she's gone through, but my needs matter, I'm not treating her as understanding. I'm not treating her the way that she deserves to be treated. I'm not treating her as a daughter of the king. I'm treating her as my servant. And that's exactly what Peter is trying to fight against. And so when people say in Scripture that through this passage or Ephesians 5 that God is anti-woman, that's not true at all. What God is is he's saying I've given men and women different roles. 
And unfortunately, men, sometimes we do a really, really poor job of recognizing this. We come home from work and we go, I'm tired. There's an implication there, isn't there? But you aren't because you weren't doing real work. And we wouldn't say that. Hopefully we would never say that. But that's what the implication is. And so men, you are called to be understanding of your wife, which doesn't just mean with this intelligence in your mind going, I know you've had a hard day, I've had a hard day, let's just go disappear and we'll let the kids do what they want to do and then we'll come back. Like, it's get involved. Husbands, go give your wife a break, go play with your kids, you make supper. Yes, you're tired, yes, she's tired, but you're called to sacrificially serve her. That's your role. You're not called to be domineering, stand above them and say, you do this, you do this, I make the decisions. That's not what the text says. We're called to sacrificially love and care for them, and we would never treat someone the way that we sometimes treat our wives if we understand what it means to be understanding and to be considerate of. Showing Honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Again, that's one that sometimes is difficult. But this Greek term that we translate as weaker vessel is the same idea that we get our word porcelain from. What Peter is talking about is he's talking about protecting them. Again, we live in a world where maybe some things have changed a little bit. But the one thing that shouldn't have changed is husbands, you should desperately want to protect your wives, not because they need it, but because they shouldn't have to defend themselves. That's your role. If you want to pick a fight with me, that's fine. If you want to pick a fight with my wife, I'm going to step in, not because she's incapable. Actually, she's probably stronger than me, and that's bad for you if you try to fight with her. But I'm called to protect her if it costs me my life. That's what it said in Ephesians 5. To love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. One expositor said it this way. So often we divide the jobs into men's and women's. And then we expect that women will support us, but we don't offer any of that support back to women. We are called to support the women's role in the home, and yet far too often we have a culture that views parenting as the woman's role, not the man's, and this is not biblical in any way. I'm going to share with you one of my greatest pet peeves. And you've not, not one of you have done this in the nine months that we've lived here, so kudos to you. But I used to get this a lot. Is if Shayla was away, or working, or whatever it might have been, and I'd be walking with Smonga, right, a little two, three-year-old Smonga, and come up to somebody that we know, and they would look and they'd say, oh, are you babysitting today? No, I'm not babysitting. He's my kid. I, I'm the dad. I'm parenting. Sorry, was that a little too aggressive? It's the reality is that we look at this and we go, well, that's mom's job. If dad's home, he's babysitting. What, that, what, what does that say? He says, men, you don't really have to parent. You just have to watch your kids once in a while so your wives can go get a break. Men, you are called to parent. You are called to read scripture with your children. You're called to pray with your children. You're called to play with your children. You're called to lead your family towards Christ, not to make more money so that their life can be more comfortable. That's what we're called to. To teach our children the way of the Lord. 
And so, man, if you are not doing this, if you are leaning on your wife to do all of that because you're at work, then your priorities need to change. Because we are called. Let me just say it this way. At the end of your child's life, the one thing that you will desire is that they will be in a loving relationship with Jesus so that they can be in eternity forever with God. And it is your responsibility to show and model that to them. I'm not saying that that women, you're exempt from this, not by any means. I'm saying that women are doing this far more than the men are, and the men are actually called to lead. Now, Shayla is my teammate and my partner, but if I dump everything on her and say, you do this, that's not a teammate and that's not a partner. That's just somebody that I tell how to parent. Man, if you do not parent... And no wonder your wives are upset with you. That's pretty simple. But again, go back. Wives, that doesn't give you the authority to slam your husbands. It actually says that even if they do this, you're still supposed to be subject to them. You're still supposed to submit to them. So that the way that you live can show them that you will endure and that you will, by your model, show them that God is most important, hopefully, so that they can understand that and they choose that for themselves. We're given these different roles. They're given to us because this is how God's created us. This is how God's designed us. And this is the reality of it. And so women, when you guys gather together, Scripture's saying, don't ever talk poorly about your husband. Men, when you gather together, don't you dare talk about your wife in a demeaning way. You are married to a daughter of the king. Women, you are married to a son of the king. You are to show them respect and honor and love them. Not because they deserve it, because the reality is they don't. I don't deserve Shayla's love, not for one second. No matter how much good stuff I do for her, I don't deserve her love. She chooses to give it to me because she wants to honor me. I choose to be compassionate. I choose to be understanding. I choose to love her because that's what God's asked me to do, not because she deserves it. Even when we say that, it sounds awful, but that's the reality of it. And the good news is that means your marriage will strengthen because when you then go through difficult times, you won't look at them as the enemy or they're the reason why or that's their fault. You'll look at it like you're in this together and God's given you a difficult scenario or a difficult situation or a difficult few years because he has purpose and meaning in that. And I'll promise you it's easier if you're on the same fight together to get through it than if you turn on each other. So let me, let me just close with this. And this isn't necessarily found in the, in the text, but um, 15 years as a pastor has let me see this is just a reality of it. How we talk about our spouse re- when they're not around very clearly shows how we actually feel about them. And so if we like to nag at them, if we like to, if when we get together with other guys, we refer to our wives as lowly or as uh, ineffective or as weak or anything like that, then that's what we think. It's just acceptable to say it there because cultural norms say it's acceptable. 
again, imagine the last time that you were with the guys or you were with the girls and you had to write down everything that you said about your spouse and then hand it to God and say, this is what I think of your son or your daughter. How would he respond to that? Did you talk about your wife or your husband with honor and respect and with love? Remember, when you got married, you said in front of everybody that this is the person you were going to cherish most in the whole world. Do you still think that? Do you still treat him or her that way? I'm going to pick on Shayla just one time here. We say, I say this in premarital all the time. Is you will never, and I can promise this, you will never ever hear her speak negatively about me when I'm not there. Because I know she's never done it. That's a choice, and that's a strong choice to make because I'm not as awesome as maybe I've led you think I am sometimes. Is I make a lot of mistakes. And a lot of times I want my way when I should choose to honor her. But what it does for me when I know that she will never speak poorly about me is that causes me to find more affection in my heart for her. So whether I deserve it or not, she's chosen to give it to me. And because of that, our relationship has grown immensely. So women, treat your husbands with respect, whether they deserve it or not, because you're called to in Scripture. And if you do that, your relationship will change over time. It may take some time, but it will change. Men, love your wives like you claimed you did when you married her. And if you do, and if you live that way, she will start to respect you because of it. Again, it may take time, but it will happen. It's not an issue of equality. It's an issue of how God's created us, this dance for us to work in symmetry to accomplish what his purposes are. So if you're a parent, what's your purpose for your children? That your children would know who Jesus Christ is. So spend more time with that and less time with the extracurricular stuff. Because it doesn't matter how famous they become. It doesn't matter how much money they make one day. It doesn't matter what kind of job they have or the prestige they have. What matters is that they love Christ. So let's both as men and women strive for that goal and that end. Let's pray. God, thank you for this text this morning. And, and it is direct and it is difficult and it is painful. And God, as we examine our own hearts, God, I know that in my own heart, there's lots of times where I'm just lazy and I choose my own selfish desires instead of that which is for my wife or my family. God, would you help me understand that this world is not about me, but it's about you, bringing you honor and bringing you glory. And in my family, you have called me to do that a specific way. So God, help us to read these passages. Help us to accept that it's your truth written to us. And help us to love our spouses and help us to love our kids. And help us to have the courage to stand up when we know what the right thing is to do and to just do it. God, help the men to lead, not in a domineering way, but in a sacrificial way. God, help the women to honor and respect their husbands so that that beautiful dance can go the way that you have intended it to go. God, thank you for our spouses this morning. And may we realize just the wonderful gift that they are to us. 
that we do not deserve them in our lives, but in your grace, you have put them there. What an incredible blessing that is. God, thank you for this morning now. We love you. Go with us this week and give us opportunities to show this kind of love to others. Amen.